Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from The Bunker. You know, folks, it's been a day or so since the testimony of Miss Lady Ruby and her daughter, Shay Moss. And I have to tell you that it has been kind of marinating in my soul the pain that we heard in those women's voices, the trauma that Donald Trump, as president of the United States, lauded over them. I can't imagine that we are living through a time where a president of the United States uses his bully pulpit and his power to target civilians. And I don't think that we are wrapping our minds around the precedent that Donald Trump has set. And up until this point, right, all we are doing right now is hearing about the criminal behavior. It is not being prosecuted, right? It is being laid out in an evidentiary fashion for the world to see. But I don't think that we are really grasping that if Donald Trump is not held accountable for the crimes that he's committed, not only against Miss Lady Ruby and her daughter Shane Moss, against Raffensperger, against, you know, all of us as citizens of these United States, until we understand the consequences of turning into I don't know, um, let's say Hungary, you know, Fox News' new favorite uh, satellite place to uh, have Tucker Carlson air his shows from. Let's think about other areas like, oh, I don't know, Russia. There are other other places that they love to broadcast from. What it means to have a president be able to wield that type of power and against citizens and have no consequences. What does the future look like? 
You know, you always hear about the right wanting to talk about free speech as a way to weaponize their language and their language of violence against marginalized people. Well, I don't foresee having the ability to have significant freedom of speech when you can be targeted, killed, because the president of the United States doesn't like what you say and decides then to make you a target. And people can say, well, oh, Donald Trump didn't actually say go and storm the Capitol. No, he just said everything else but that. Donald Trump, by virtue of putting a target on Lady Ruby and her daughter, basically said, how dare you? How dare you decide to volunteer for your community to be an elector during a time of a pandemic? How dare you? Because the only people that can be trusted are the criminals that he surrounds himself with. Making an example of people like the two of those women so that Others that think to themselves, maybe I too would like to volunteer, will think twice. And so that instead you have what? People like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and other white supremacists with their AR-15 standing at our poll places? Is that what the future of America looks like? Well, it is, frankly, unless for once and for all, we rid ourselves not only of Donald Trump, but of Trumpism. You know, I keep listening to reporters interview Republicans and as if they're like normal people with just a conservative ideology. These are people that believe the big lie, that are part of the cult, right? That believe that Donald Trump did no wrong, should not have any accountability, and that this is the future of our democracy, that you can just cry foul because you don't have policies or a platform that align with the majority of people. And so if the people choose not to elect you, then you can just throw up your hands and say, oh, this is fraudulent. It's not. Your platform is bogus. So it is, it, to me, you know, you would think that there would be more than two Republicans that would actually stand up. You would think that as Mike Pence's own life was threatened, that he would throw his full weight behind, you know, our democracy. But he's a tepid piece of shit, right? Just like the rest of them. But I, I just want us to really understand that if not for the handful of people, brave people who decided to not go along with the president of the United States' scheme to defraud the American people, we would be in a completely different place right now. Now, I'm not going to say that the place that we're in is great, because it sure as fuck is not. But imagine what would have happened if Mike Pence had decided that he was going to go along with Donald Trump, that he was going to decertify the election for Biden and just institute Donald Trump as president. Remember, we had already had a six to three Supreme Court. So if you think back to 2000 and who actually decided that election, it was not the American people. It was the Supreme Court. Donald Trump was thinking ahead. The things that I think that are missing in terms of these hearings that are taking place right now is the fact that this was not something that was cooked up in November. It wasn't cooked up in December. It was fucking cooked up well before the first ballot was even cast. 
Go back to the first utterances of Donald Trump saying that the only way that he's going to lose this election is if it's stolen. Go back to that. That is when Donald Trump began to devise the plan to defraud the American people. And now we look, we look at actually the human cost of that ill-fated plan. And I say ill-fated because it didn't succeed this time, but without prosecution by the Department of Justice, it will succeed the next time. You know, coming up next, my conversation with the author of the book, The Case for Cancel Culture, Ernest Owens. And Ernest and I will get into what I think is a really important conversation where he believes that cancel culture is used as a democratic tool by the oppressed to hold those that have power, right? The privilege of whiteness to be able to skirt the law. So what else is left for people to do? We unpack this and I ask him questions about, you know, how is the useful way to cancel somebody? And he's just like, well, if you're Elon Musk, if you're Donald Trump and you've been able to live above the law, exist in the clouds, the only way to get rid of somebody like you is to use the power of our social consciousness and say, this person has a scarlet letter. That hasn't been done enough with Donald Trump. And I don't think that we will see even a crack in the MAGA dome until and unless this Department of Justice goes after not only Donald Trump, but every single person around Donald Trump and takes them down. We continue to say each and every week on this show that democracy hangs in the balance. I can't express to you enough that fact. We're seeing Supreme Court cases file one by one, just not even chip away, right? Not even claw away, but hack away at our constitution, at the separation between church and state. Because guess what? New case by the Supreme Court. Guess where your tax dollars are going? To fund religious schools because the core of the Republican party has always wanted to defund public education. Well, so now if state money needs to go to religious institutions that you decide to send your kids to, as opposed to the public schools, who do you think is going to be affected? Friends, each and every day becomes darker here. And the mustard seed of light and hope that we are holding on to is that while Merrick Garland is off in the fucking Ukraine, that he's still paying attention to what is happening in this country. And I say that not because we don't want to support Ukraine, but if that, if I have to make a choice between their democracy or ours, I want ours protected first because there's no way to protect other countries if America falls. That's just the reality. We saw it at the beginning of the Trump administration when he was pulling out of global agreements. And task force and groups. So if America is no longer a democracy and we leave a vacuum, what do you think moves into place? So coming up next, friends, the author of the book, The Case for Cancel Culture, Ernest Owens, and our conversation about how we use 
cancel culture as a way to regain power that has been lost. It's no secret that the news is horse pill hard to swallow. Thankfully, there's the Bituation Room podcast hosted by comedian and commentator Francesca Friorentini for a lighter take on the heavy stuff. Each week, the Bituation Room brings you progressive comedians, experts, and activists to break down the issues in a way that won't just leave you crying under a weighted blanket. Get the Bituation Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and streaming on YouTube and Twitch. Get a behind-the-scenes look at Comedy Central's The Daily Show on Beyond the Scenes, an original podcast from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Every week, host Roy Wood Jr. goes deeper with the notable guests and experts from the Emmy Award-winning series. Together, they use comedy to tackle current topics from gentrification to gun laws and take a closer look at how and why these topics matter. Listen to Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Folks, I am very happy to welcome to Woke AF for the very first time um, award-winning journalist Ernest Owens, whose upcoming book, The Case for Cancel Culture, How This Democratic Tool Works to Liberate Us All, joins. Um, Ernest, it is great to have you on Woke AF. Cancel culture is a word, a phrase that has been thrown around, my God, I don't know, probably in my recollection, the beginning of the Trump administration, um, there was literally just a piece this week in, um, I want to say it's New York Magazine, talking about how cancel culture is detrimental to high school students and what it means and how it's devastating. So I want to hear from you, why is cancel culture, in your opinion, a good thing? Well, thank you for having me on. Um, I think for starters, I think a lot of people have used council culture in the wrong way, the term. Um, I think that for some people, those who are privileged and have power, it's a dog whistle to divorce themselves from accountability. Mm-hmm. And I think that what has happened is, is that, you know, in my book, I talk a lot about the history of council culture. Like before it was council culture, it was political correctness, before it was political correctness, it was, well, before it was, we got after political correctness, it was call-out culture, and it's been all of these other terms, but if we actually look at who's been using those terms and when do they come into play, it's often by those with power, it's often those who are are privileged in some type of way, and it's often used as a way to try to deflect attention from those who've been afflicted, um, those who are marginalized, and so I think that if we if we actually look at what council culture is actually doing and what people are, are trying to accuse it of, we find that those who are being accused of counseling people, often those who've been afflicted, who have been done in a wrong way, who's been you know abused and other things, and that it's actually the device that is used by the the oppressed to actually act out in ways that the system, the justice system, other systems could not address. You know, um, so I think that in that way, we look at council culture as a tool by the marginalized to address things that the powerful has done to them. That is in itself a good thing. So let me ask you this, you know, because one of the I guess one of the most problematic sides of cancel culture has been. Are we learning 
anything. Those people, right? When we talk about accountability, because I talk about accountability a lot on Woke AF, particularly holding whites, white, cis, hetero men who are often in power accountable for their wrongdoing. Um, whether it is sexual harassment, whether it's, you know, undermining our democracy, criminal behavior in, in any so fashion, is there a learning that happens or is, is it just a fear? So I, I, I won't say this thing, but I still believe this thing. Like, is there an ability to learn from bad behavior if people are just canceled? Like, is there any is there any redemption, I guess, is the question, or is it to have a larger conversation about the wrongdoing? I think that this has been going on, like for, for starters, I want to be clear, cancel culture is not a new phenomenon, you know, no. this is around for the beginning of time. And so when we, when we say people are canceled, are people really canceled, right? Are people actually forever forbidden? And in those cases where we're asking that question about redemption and things, that's a larger conversation about the justice systems that be and society within. I think it's up to the individual um, who is in that situation if they should. But I think oftentimes I'm very worried about considering what's for the offender rather than considering mm -hmm. those who have been afflicted. Um, because that it, that story that you're talking about that's in the cut from New York Magazine, yeah. it's mm -hmm. been so much time, in my opinion, victim blaming. It's being a lot of time trying to empathize with those who do wrong. And what we forget in these conversations is that while we're quick to jump into, you know, well, what about the consequences that person did that thing? We do ignore the conversation on accountability. I think that from accountability, if, the, if these things are done in the order to which they are, learning can come from those things. Re resolution can come from those things. But because we're in a society that is so scared, right, to hold people actually accountable, we oftentimes are answering, asking questions that could be answered if we actually went through the process. So I think you if know, people actually did, you know, call people out, did address these issues, if people acknowledged their wrongdoing, if people actually faced whatever consequences they were in those, in that process, learning is happening there, right? People are understanding what they did wrong and why they did it. Right. I think there's a lot that can be learned in the process within itself. You know, one of the things that had pissed me off at the beginning of the Trump administration and um, was hearing people, his his Trumpists, his MAGA people say that they love Donald Trump because he just tells it like it is. There's no political correctness. There's no whatever. He's just going to be as misogynistic, as ableist, as, you know, uh, racist, as all of these things. And to them, that's authenticity. What is your pushback to that? Because there has been what I feel like is this progression or actually regression to just vitriol, nastiness, and couching that as being authentic, right? Um, and it's not, but that's what that's what the right has co-opted. If you're if the if if we want to say that the political left is supposedly about inclusion, right, then the political right is has made their case for exclusion. So they're gonna, they're like, we don't have to use uh, uh, people's uh, pronouns. We don't have to, you know, speak kindly to other people because that's not, I'm not gonna be forced to political correctness, right? So what is your pushback to that? 
Well, for starters, I think that those levels of luxuries that of rudeness, right? There's a luxury that that is a privilege. There's a privilege to be condescending and rude in that type of way. And that's a luxury to the powerful, right? Because they don't have to have the same moral codes or consequences mm-hmm. that everyday people do. One of the things that I talk about in my book is that I argue that everyday people don't get canceled. That if you say, for example, something racist at your job and you lose your job, you weren't canceled. You were held accountable to the code of conduct that you agreed to when you signed that contract, right? And I think that's what we're missing here is that powerful people, rich, super rich people, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, those individuals are are the ones that oftentimes can, can make the rules and break the rules yep. and be hypocrites and have all the power, right? So they're not held to the same standards and laws and rules that the rest of us do. So that is why people have to arguably cancel them because mm-hmm. there is no other way to hold them accountable. And so what we've seen is that the most powerful, most privileged individuals, right, white cishet men, these real big Republicans on the right that have all this political influence, is that they try to make it seem like we're all on the same playing field, that what they're doing, anyone else can do. But we see that when other people do what they do, they yep. don't get the same types of privileges and consequences. See, if, if, if I or a group of white people you know, just decide to go to their Burger King because they didn't like the hiring of a boss or the promotion of a new boss. And they went to that Burger King and tore it down and had an insurrection at Burger King. They would all be immediately going to jail versus a former president inciting. Mm -hmm. And now we're still debating whether or not criminal charges we filed. Those are not the same. Those are not the same situations. And so I want to explain to people that to me, council culture is about a power dynamic shift. It's about those who can't be held accountable in any other way other than a collective force of action that calls them out. People are not creating social media campaigns to call out folks that no one don't know or don't hold any power. And yet the problem is, is that a lot of times white people and their white guilt makes them seem like there's a target on their back when in reality, the target is on anyone with powers back. And so in some cases that do mean white cis-head men like Trump. And in some cases, it can mean a comedian like Dave Chappelle, who is one of the richest, most well-known comedians in the, in the, on, the, on the planet. Like that is what people have to understand. It's a real power dynamic and race do influence it, gender influences it, sexual orientation influences, but it's really about power. And I think a lot of people want to believe that they have equal amounts of power to those of Trump, but that's just not true. You know, we watch, at, at, at least I, I was watching um, the fourth installment of the uh, of of the insurrection hearings, right? Mm. And just, you know, for, for the example, listening to, um, you know, Miss Lady Ruby and her daughter, uh, Shane Moss, two black women uh, who were targeted by the president of the United States um, and literally have lost their name, have lost their businesses, have lost their... So, have lost their ability to live free from violence, right? Whether that be verbal or physical. And as I was watching that hearing and I'm saying to myself, the president of the United States used his platform to target citizens who were doing nothing other than their civic duty, right? To help out their county, Fulton County in Georgia, in the midst of a pandemic. And I said to myself, why didn't we at that time, have a conversation about power. 
right? And the abuses of power, because to your point, you're absolutely right. I think that when we are having conversations about cancel culture, those of us that are using it as a tool, right? To hold people accountable. I think that we're not couching that conversation in power. We're always right. talking about it. We're, we're coming from the defense as opposed to let me talk about it from where you're, from where you're situating your book, you know, the case for cancel culture to say, no, no, no. Like if we're talking about an Elon Musk, if you're talking about a Donald Trump, you're talking about no. multi-billionaires and multi-millionaires that literally can buy and, and, and sell whomever, whatever they want. Right? right. And they are seen as like a product in that way. There is no other choice, but There's to no deny choice. these people the, the oxygen in the room. So Donald Trump being canceled from Twitter was, was a safety mechanism, right? right? It was about taking back what little power. So how do you think, Ernest, that we, how do you think that we shift these conversations? How do we, how do we reclaim the purpose of actually holding power accountable because powered, because I, I have been, I've been tweeting this for th the past week. White men are never going to hold white men in power. Ain't going to hold white men in power accountable. That is not who the systems were created for. Right. And so how do you think that we reclaim this tool and talk about it from a space that actually has it expressed as what it is, which is a reclamation of power that has always been absent from those that are oppressed. I would say read my book because that's what it is. <laughs> um, but like, no, I, like I wrote this book because I've been in those experiences. Um, I've covered them in my journalism career and they've always shown up and manifested in different ways. And to your point, it is about number one, telling everybody, one, take a breath, calm down everyday people everyday working class people we're not the target of counseling we're not the ones that are canceling each other having an argument having a disagreement having a difference of opinion is not counseling we need to look at who is i always tell people that when you see the most powerful people on the left and the right agreeing over an issue together, that means that they want the rest of us not to pay attention. When you can see an Andrew Cuomo saying that Come he's on. being canceled, and when you can see Donald Trump, uh, uh, you know, banning counseling and talking about counsel culture, why do, what do these people have in, in common? They all have power. They all have privilege. And sometimes what we've done is we've let counsel culture become a political issue of left versus right. It's not a blue issue. It's not a red issue. This is a bipartisan issue that the powerful people have agreed that they don't like. Black yep. people in power Come versus on. white people in power, they don't like council culture. Let's take the word, let's say, let's, let's take council culture out and say accountability. I bet you for every situation where these people have yelled that they don't like council culture, replace the word with accountability and it's the same effect. And who are they doubling down on? Women, Black mm -hmm. and brown people, queer people, trans people, poor people. It's something to be said that there's a David and Goliath dynamic here. Yes. And I want everyday people to recognize that council culture is a tool that scares the powerful people into submission to be more accountable in ways they were not. My book talks about how 
before everyday people get to the point of canceling, there's a thousand things we do before things go from zero to 100. And no one ever acknowledges that, that there was conversations, there was simple requests. And then when those were ignored, people had to hit the streets. People had to then call people out. I, I think people have to recognize that it's not just some one day people wake up and choose violence. It's that that, that is oftentimes the only resort they have after they've tried everything else. And history has shown us that, look at what they're calling council culture. They call Black Lives Matter council culture. They call Me Too council culture. But did Me Too not give women an opportunity and a voice and a platform to share their stories, to hold these violent men accountable? Did Black Lives Matter not create a racial uprising and reckoning for white people in this country? Why are we shaming and condemning the very things that have liberated people and have given these people free speech and the same First Amendments that white people have used and abused for centuries? It's mm -hmm. a double standard. And let's be very clear, everybody's canceling each other. We're not gonna sit up and act like Jerry Falwell wasn't out here trying to cancel the Teletubbies. We're not gonna sit up here and act like the Dixie Chicks weren't canceled. We're not trying to act like there was not Islamophobia and canceling of Muslim communities during 9-11. Like the same people out here talking about religious freedom are the same people that use that to dictate how they've canceled books and, and communities. Like this is a hypocrisy. Like mm. they're trying to they're trying to counsel us and use the very tools that we've done to hold them accountable to now weaponize that against us to suppress us. It's a big hypocrisy. And I just want everyday people to recognize that there's nothing to fear with council culture, that this is a term that I am reappropriating. I don't wanna call it accountability culture. I don't wanna call it anything. I wanna embrace this term because there's power in the term, because they're scared, because the world is getting browner, the world is getting woker, the, the world is starting to recognize things that they used to be able to turn off and shut down. What do you hope, uh, Ernest, my, my last question for you, what do you hope that people take from your book? Um, what, what, what tools do you hope and what do you envision after folks read, um, read your book that they take from it? I want there to be a real reshifting of the narrative around um, holding people accountable. I want people to stop victim blaming I hope that a lot of people don't automatically, this gut reaction that every person has, or at least we're seeing on social media that people are like, oh, I don't want to say that because I'm going to get canceled, that they right. calm down. I, it reminds me of like during Me Too where people were saying, well, well, well what will happen? Will men, will Me Too make men, you know, rethink everything they do? No, because- if But shouldn't it? I'm like, but wait, right, shouldn't it? Right, shouldn't it? Right, it should, right? But also there's a part of me that's like, people who've been practicing etiquette and, and practicing decent behavior or trying to are not the people that's on the chopping block. Like these people, like we have to understand that we as a society, especially in America, always feel like when people do problematic things, they're mistakes. We're quick to believe that all of these things happening are mistakes and people are innocent. And it's just like, oh, what was them? They made that mistake. They caused that insurrection. They said that very racist thing on national television. It was such a mistake. Oh my goodness, Joe Rogan said the N-word several times. What a mistake. These are not mistakes. Come on. These are real abuses that cause harm. 
So I hope that when people read this book and see all the case studies and examples and interviews I do, that they'll take a step back and say, you know what? That person deserved that consequence. I can understand why people did what they do. This community had no other choice. People were put in a position to have to make these decisions because there was no other way. And we start to reshift the conversation and not looking at how to redeem and heal problematic people, but how to better protect, defend mm. those who've been afflicted. That when they read this book, they say, you know what? This is gonna make me think about ways that I can show up to help the trans community. This is gonna help me be a better advocate for women issues. This is gonna help me think twice before I play devil's advocate in conversations about race. I hope that this is gonna create a cultural reset on how we talk about accountability in this country. Because the people out here that's fighting for our democracy, our rights, our, our, our livelihood, those people, this book is dedicated to them. I dedicate this book to those people. And I hope that we don't forget them in these conversations. Ernest, let me tell you something. I hope that folks will run, not walk, to <laughs> go out and buy your book because I think that we need it at this time, I think that we need, you know, as what, cause what we are seeing is, is the power grab, right? Between the oppressed and the oppressor. And what did, you know, what have so many philosophers said is that no one relinquishes power, right? It has to be taken, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we allow them to dictate the narrative, if we allow them to co-op and weaponize, to use your word, to weaponize accountability, then we continue to lose. And so I think that your book is absolutely going to be that tool that is needed at this time. So Ernest, thank you so much for making the time to join Woke AF folks. The book is The Case for Cancel Culture, How This Democratic Tool Works to Liberate Us All. Get it now at Amazon and everywhere that books are sold. We appreciate you, Ernest. Thank you. Thank you. The Damage Report with John Idarola is one of the most popular shows on the TYT network that serves as your daily breakdown of the genuine threats and challenges facing our country and world. These days, we're confronted with an overwhelming sea of shocking, confounding, and devastating news stories. The Damage Report is your life raft, helping you navigate the day's news and understand the damage caused by the corrupt establishment, politicians, corporations, and everything in between. Join the Damage Report's notorious fan club, The Dragon Squad, where you become part of a fantastic community of progressives. Create a fun dragon nickname that fits your personality, collaborate, and participate in fun activities like voting for, the garbage person of the week, and much more. Listen to The Damage Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Woke. 
Get a behind-the-scenes look at Comedy Central's The Daily Show on Beyond the Scenes, an original podcast from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Every week, host Roy Wood Jr. goes deeper with the notable guests and experts from the Emmy Award-winning series. Together, they use comedy to tackle current topics from gentrification to gun laws and take a closer look at how and why these topics matter. Listen to Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.